Hey everybody, welcome back to the Indigo Comics Podcast. This is episode number two, and uh, this episode will be the first in a series of episodes that we're calling We Love Your Work, which is a interview series featuring independent writers and artists and creators in the comic book industry, uh, talking about you know, people's influences and, you know, how they got started in writing and what projects they're working on. Today, my guest is Kyle Reyes. Kyle is the writer and creator behind Primal Instinct, an independently published uh, sci-fi war epic that pits uh, a desperate uh, human race against a futuristic and highly evolved and intelligent dinosaur army. Uh, if you are interested in checking out Primal Instinct, go to Comixology and search Primal Instinct, and you can uh, purchase his comic books there. And I hope you enjoy our conversation. What led to you majoring in Egyptology? Uh, well, see, I went to college originally as an English lit major. Okay, uh, that makes more sense. What I wanted to do, uh, well, okay, so I'll give you some full background here. When I was 16, 17 years old, I started hanging out at this comic book shop down the street here called Watchtower Comics, which no longer exists. But oh, that would have been a nice there. plug. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> it no longer exists, though. Uh, the owner gave it up years ago. It was a, it was a damn shame because it was a great shop. He'd be open uh, like 11 a.m. to like 8 o'clock at night. We used to go over there all the time and buy comics and play hero clicks and he let us bring food i mean we would literally be there all damn day i mean it was like his little spot to keep teenagers and other people out of trouble it was like daycare for high schoolers yeah pretty much and it was it, I mean, it was the most fantastic spot in the world for us at the time and i i walked in there one day his name was doug uh, i'm sorry i don't remember his last name he was a real nice guy but uh is doug still around or was he an older guy uh he's still around uh presumably i haven't seen him in years um, okay, gotcha. I think he went on to manage a Macy's or something. But uh, I walked into Watchtower one day and I was buying some stuff from him because that's where all my money, that's where all my allowance money went. And and I noticed there was this little uh, display from a thing called Shot in the Dark Comics. And I was wondering, what the hell is that? Like, it's, it sounds like a little indie thing. And this is this is at a time where I was only reading Marvel. I mean, I wasn't even touching DC. And I want to say this is about 2007. Okay. So this is... Uh, the only thing I'm reading is Marvel, because this was after the Civil War event. This is what got me back into collecting... This is what got me into collecting my own comics on top of my dad's stuff. So I saw this little indie thing, and I'm like... I'm kind of intrigued by it, because I'm just wondering, why is there a display for this particular company? Like, is it getting big? What you know? What's happening here? Well, it turns out that Shot in the Dark was this little company that was being started in my area by two local artists, artists named uh, Gene and Frank. In in Hagerstown? In Hagerstown. Uh, I think wow. Hagerstown, Waynesboro, I think that's where they lived at the time. Um, I asked him what was going on, because, I mean, some of the characters looked intriguing. You know, you had like it looked like a street-level guy. You had your superhero guys. And they had a, so was it like was it multiple uh, like different titles within the same under the same imprint or yeah. was it one book? No, that that was the crazy thing because it it wasn't just one book. It looked like a whole do a whole new line of comics, and it was coming out of my hometown. And that was like to me at seventeen, that was mind blowing. So I'm trying to figure out exactly, you know, how this is happening, what's going on here, 
And it only occurred to me like two years prior to that, that making a, that you could, I always wanted to be a writer, but that you could be a comic book writer for a career. Yeah. It only occurred to me maybe two years before that, that that was an actual thing. And I never thought I wanted to be like that. I figured comic books would be fun, but if you want to be a serious writer, you got to write books, you know? And uh, so that's what I, that's what I had hoped to achieve. But I, I found out this local company existed and I was talking to Doug and he actually knew these guys personally because they were advertising in the shop and they were hosting a they were hosting a show there in a couple weeks at the time. Okay. And so he gave me the, I was talking to Doug about how, you know, hey, you know, I've always wanted to write and you know, comic books would be fun, it'd be a good foot in the door. You know, how do I get in contact with these guys? And he gave me their contact info. And so uh long story short, over about a six to eight month period after that. Uh, I got in touch. I became really close with Gene Tipton, who was the editor-in-chief and head writer of this company at the time. But long story short, over six to eight months, I got real close with him, and I had originally pitched uh, my book, Element, which was totally different ten years ago than what it is now. But uh, he decided he wanted to publish it. And so for a 17-year-old kid, that was like the coolest thing in the world. Yeah, I can imagine. So, But I was 17. I was underage. I wasn't allowed to sign a contract yet. Like there was legal ramifications and stuff like that. So I actually went to my first Comic-Con in 2008 in Baltimore with Shot in the Dark Comics, having just turned 18, having just signed a fresh contract with these guys. Wow. And I was, at the same time, I was starting college. So... I was starting college as an English major thinking, hey, I've already got a contract lined up with a comic book publisher. Like, yeah, a degree is a formality at this point. You know, I'm just going to yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just going to go study some English and maybe take some history classes and just be a slightly better writer than I am now. You know? Yeah, yeah exactly. I'm 18. You're already on the path. Yeah, I've got the, the world on a string. So that's how I went to college as an English lit major. How did it switch over to being Egyptology? Well, so about halfway through my first semester of freshman year, I got really interested in history again because that was always my favorite subject in high school. But you can't make a degree at it. You can't make a career at a history. That's what I always told myself. Well, unless I mean, I, I mean, I feel like the conventional wisdom is unless you become a teacher or yeah. you publish a book, and even if you publish a book, you're probably also going to supplement that with being a teacher. Yeah, and I didn't at the time. I didn't want to be a teacher. At, at 18 years old, I had no interest in being a teacher. I wanted to be famous. I wanted to write. I wanted to people know my name. I didn't want to be in a classroom. That was not my goal. How naive I was. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I just I I started. Uh, I got back into history, and I decided to double major in history. I was like, what can this hurt? History's a a wealth of knowledge. This is a great place to learn. This is a great subject to to use to mine so to speak of you know information like history has so many stories to it and whether you tell the facts where you tell a fictional history whether you combine the two it's there so i became an english and history major and as i progressed through college i got bored with the english lit portion okay so that ended up just dropping off the other side it completely dropped off so i ended up being a full-time history major which was the single best thing that ever happened to me by the way so but uh, now to be clear though at this point specifically it's more broad it's history it's not specifically egyptology at this specifically point. at this point my entire goal i was st- at frostburg state university where i went they offered mm-hmm. international history and american history okay and i went for international history because at the time it's like ah american history myth i'll do international history it's much more interesting because the older, to me, the older it got, the more interesting it got. So at the time, mm-hmm. be- because uh, my father's side is from a Greek ancestry, I was always more interested in Greek history and mythology. So 
uh, I wanted to be a Greek historian. And about halfway through my sophomore year, the more I studied Greek history and the more I studied Western European history, the more I started seeing that it just keeps going further and further back and how much people steal from each other. And to, to be perfectly blunt, by the end of my sophomore year, I was so tired of whitewashed history. Okay. I just really wanted to see how far back this really went and see, like, the origins of, like, the true origins of just how these things digging. went down. Yeah, I just, yeah, and so to speak, you know. So I just kept going further and further back, and eventually I fell on Egypt. Okay. Now, the funny thing is they tell you... Uh, every kid has like the Egypt phase, the space phase, and the dinosaur phase. I had the I had the space phase. I still have the dinosaur phase. Yeah, <laughs> never had the Egypt phase as a kid. So what what, what do you mean by having that phase? That that's the like as a kid you get interested in it or like start playing, you know, Pharaoh. Is that is that what you mean? Every Egyptologist and every Egyptology student I've ever met as a kid was fascinated by Egypt. From the beginning. I never had that. I looked at archaeology as boring because archaeology invo- involved people, and people suck. And I thought people weren't nearly as cool as animals and dinosaurs. Well, you know what's funny is uh, I feel like um, my interest – if I ever had an interest in being an archaeologist, it was because I saw Jurassic Park. And then it occurs to you that, yeah, they don't let you uh, – you know – create dinosaurs and extract DNA from uh, crystallized honey fossils. You know what I mean? <laughs> uh, you know, like, like it's my same thing when I watch the X-Files. It's like, oh, I'd love to be an, a, a, like an FBI agent. Oh, wait, you can't chase aliens as an, X, yeah. as an FBI agent. It's not how it works. <laughs> yeah, no, it's actually funny. I'm, I'm going to go a slight digression here. But I was just driving up to Michigan with my mother uh, for Christmas last week, and we were talking about stories and stuff. She would talk about how she... My father and her used to take me to uh, the Natural History Museum because we live in Hagerstown. It's only an hour away from D.C. and the Smithsonian stuff. And when I was a kid, there was a big dinosaur exhibit uh, not too long after Jurassic Park came out. And I don't remember this whatsoever. I must have been maybe four years old. Mm -hmm. But apparently I got super pissed at my parents because they wouldn't buy me amber. Those rat bastards. (laughs) Because apparently I threw a a fucking fit. (laughs) I don't remember this at all. Yeah, but uh, apparently I threw a fit that they wouldn't buy me amber because I wanted to go in the garage and, you know, build my own dinosaurs. Grow dinosaurs. Yeah, I was gonna, I was gonna be the, I was gonna do my own Jurassic Park. And when they wouldn't buy me the, you know, thousand dollar amber sample, <laughs> <laughs> I lost my goddamn I thought, mind. When you said amber, I thought you were talking about like I, I figured there was like a gift shop and there was like a toy. No, no, you're talking about the actual. Like... I'm, I'm talking that actual. I see. At, even as a kid, I'm that kind of asshole. <laughs> I knew the difference between like the squishy amber and <laughs> like the stress ball <laughs> that you give yeah. your professor, and you know, like the actual like, hey, we'll sell you this fossil. It's only twelve hundred ninety nine dollars. And I was so pissed off because like my parents, you know, their parents they have money. <laughs> Get me my damn dinosaurs. It'll pay off. You know, spare no expense. <laughs> <laughs> I I don't remember it. But this, I, this 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 whole conversation is going to be rife with Jurassic Park references, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> let's let's back up. So you are a teenager. You decide you pitch a local comic company that is releasing like they've created a whole publishing line based around Hagerstown, where you, where you grew up, which. Um, for anybody who doesn't know, like what Hagerstown is like, Hagerstown is out in really in the boonies of Western Maryland, right? I 
wouldn't go so far to say that. Not not quite the boonies. Not quite the boonies. Hagerstown, the best way I can describe Hagerstown is like a mini Baltimore. Okay. Or it is a small town with big city problems. Okay. Well, but I, I guess I guess my my point was that it's not a, like I would not have thought of Hagerstown as this like bustling metropolis filled with industry. You know what I mean? Where there's you know it's 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 still. I wouldn't. It's not big enough that you would think that somebody would launch a a, a comic book publishing company out of there. You no, know what I mean, absolutely not. Um, I mean, we have we have our own art museum at the city park downtown, and I mean, we're not completely culturally devoid. I mean, we have an art school right downtown, the Barger Ingram School for the Arts, which opened right after I uh, finished high school, which is for acting and writing and painting and dancing and everything. And it's 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 freaking spectacular. Uh, so I wouldn't call it culture. I mean, it's certainly not culturally devoid. Um, but yeah, you wouldn't think of Hagerstown as like the central hub of, hey, this is where I'm going to launch, a, you know, a competitive comic book company. You know, and so so. But you do you hook up with these guys with Shot in the Dark Comics and you pitch them this comic. So did you actually ever publish anything through them? I did. Uh, we actually got one issue of Element out, which I have a copy somewhere in one of these boxes in my office here. Um, which I periodically look at, but hate hate to. <laughs> <laughs> is it is it that thing of like you know something uh, you see it through the lens of everything that you've learned writing in the in the ten years since? Yeah, it, it's uh, a, a twenty seven year old with twenty seven years of experience uh, reading the comic book of a seventeen year old with seventeen years of experience. Yeah. Uh, it, it's not a knock on anyone who did the art or any of the production or the editing or it's like it is a, is a personal self-loathing that extends to no one but myself. I can empathize with that. I look at it and there's so much I would change. There's so much I am changing. I am relaunching the book under a completely different uh, idea, but you know, talk about that later. Well, yeah, no, that's so that's I want to get uh, I want to get to the. Uh, you know the different books that you actually are working on and so after working with shot in the dark uh when i met you i knew that you were uh now making a concerted effort to get back into writing comics so there was a period of time uh a not uh, what i'm what sounds like a not insignificant period of time where uh you had uh you know taken a break from actively pursuing uh comics what was going on during that period uh the main thing was i would say it was between uh, the beginning of my junior year of college and the year I left graduate school. Okay. So about a five to six year period. So how far did you, uh, did you take, uh, your schooling? I got almost to, uh, I'm all but thesis for my master's degree. But so that, that would mean by virtue of almost having your master's, that means you do have a bachelor's. I do have a bachelor's degree. Yes. Uh, I did. I did graduate from Frostburg, uh, you know, magna cum laude and all that, you know. <laughs> oh, nice. Yeah. I, uh, wow. I did graduate with a degree in history with uh, minors in anthropology and uh, geography, not to brag or anything. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, that's 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 really cool. I, I mean, you're talking to the guy who the most extensive schooling I have is is a certificate in audio engineering. Hey, that's so I, can turn no- I can turn knobs on a mixing board. That's about it. Well, you know, that's a more marketable skill than I can... That's true. I can throw a hell of a karaoke party. <laughs> and I can show you how to write your name in ancient Egyptian, which is, you know, not as cool of a bar People trick as I thought it was. For that. Yeah. 
it's worked on a few women, not as many as you'd you know hope. Yeah, I would th- I would think that that if applied correctly, that could, that could work in a social environment with with uh, with the ladies. Yeah, you figure out how to apply it correctly. You let me know, would you? All right, I will. You got to teach me how to do it first, though. Uh, so yeah. So what? Uh, after so after school, you've got this period of time between uh, when you were working with Shot in the Dark and be- and before you started working on Primal Instinct. So what, what was going on then? Well, the big thing was I was just focusing on school. So um, I, I when I decided to focus head on on history in college, uh, I looked at it the way that you look at going to be a doctor or a lawyer. I was going to study my ass off in history. And do as much as I can, learn as much as I can to prepare for graduate school. My goal was to get my four-year degree, and then get my master's and PhD. And I wanted to be an e- I wanted to be an Egyptologist. I was going to do everything I could. So I went and added the way you go to pre-med, pre-law. I did twenty-some credits a semester. I worked my ass off. I, it's all I was focusing on, for all those years of college. And I, uh, I had a girlfriend at the time. We were building a life together. We were doing this, that, and the other thing. And we were working on, you know, our schooling. We were focused on that. We were focused on our life. And so comics, while I was still working on them at the time, and I did. I had an artist lined up for another project at the time. I was still writing scripts for stuff in the background. Uh, It just wasn't as prominent in my life as it had been before or as it is now. Because I was just so focused. uh, I was so academically zoned in for a set number of years that comics were like something I'll do on the side. It's like, oh, this will be fun, but, you know, I'm going to be a professor. I'm going to go dig in Egypt. I'm going to work in a lab. I'm going to move to Norway, you know, that kind of thing. I got gotcha. you. So so, so what uh, what pulled you back in to really pursuing it in, in earnest? And then specifically, uh, what, what led to the – what was the genesis for Primal Instinct? Okay, so in 2000 – I'm trying to get my years right here. I think it was 2015? Mm-hmm. Well, um, my father started getting kind of sick, and graduate school uh, just wasn't working for me anymore. Sure. Uh, it was. I had been there a little bit longer than I had hoped. Um, things weren't working out for me. It wasn't. I didn't have the passion for archaeology that I had when I went in, and that's that's when you know. I mean, archaeology is not the kind of thing you just you do for a paycheck. If you if you don't love it, you can't do it. Yeah. And. By the end of graduate school, I didn't love it anymore. Okay. And so when it was time to hang up, it was time to hang up. You know, it sucked at the time. It was terrible. And obviously there's, you know, student loans and stuff like that on top of that. But, yeah, of course. But for my own personal well-being, it wasn't worth going through anymore. Okay. Uh, there were signs. There were enough. There was enough writing on the wall. Mm-hmm. And so I walked away. And when I walked away, I started, uh, I came back home. I moved back in with my parents in part to help take care of my father and uh, help out with my parents and stuff and in part to get back on my feet and I started bartending uh, full time uh, which I still do uh, I guess <laughs> I mean people gotta get their drinks yeah I mean I, I do enjoy it I mean it's been fun it's opened up a lot of opportunities for me you know here and there but um, so when I moved home I did that and I decided to focus back on you know my one true love which was writing and comic books yeah so I've had this idea for Primal Instinct since I was like 10 years old. Mm-hmm. And it always blew my mind. Like, everybody loves dinosaurs. Yeah. I mean, at, you, you survey... I, I love dinosaurs. You survey 100 people. I mean, 99 of them are going to tell you dinosaurs are awesome. Yeah. 
Okay, 98 maybe. You're going to get one person who says dinosaurs never existed and they're crazy. <laughs> yeah, they're they're a thing. I didn't know that. I I didn't know. I'm actually on a Facebook page called Christians Against Dinosaurs and mm-hmm. the truth uh, they oh, are well, Why do you do it to yourself? Why uh, do you do that to yourself? Because the flat earth people kicked me out of their group and I needed something else. <laughs> Oh my goodness! Okay, but, uh, so, I, anyways, yeah. Uh, so, ten years old, you so, love dinosaurs. I love which dinosaurs. I can't blame you. So, and so, th- so this is an idea that you've been kicking around since you were ten. An idea that I've been kicking around since I was ten years old. Actually, I'll, I'll tell you the moment I came up with. It. I was in Australia on this like people to people student ambassador program trip. Really? Yeah, that's you how. Wow, that's you're full of surprises. I didn't, I didn't realize you'd ever been to Australia. I, my 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 travel experience in life is is sadly, sadly limited. Well, unfortunately, it's the only country I've been to. Okay, or outside of the United States, obviously. But fortunately, it was Australia, which was awesome. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I that, went on this yeah. student ambassador program uh, when I was 11 mm-hmm. years old. I went to Australia. That's a whole different thing. That was really cool, by the way. Australia is an awesome country. I've, I, I really want to visit there. And uh, it was a great trip. And uh, I have a ton of stories from there and everything. Well, best I can remember, it was, you know, 15, 16 years ago now. Uh, but I was falling asleep on a bus. So we we took a bus from Karen's down to Sydney over Sydney over a three-week trip. And But I'll never forget this, though, because I was – we had to keep a journal. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was part of our requirement as cause student ambassadors, you know. We had to catalog our trip and everything. But I – we took a we took a trip down from Cairns in Queensland down to Sydney in New South Wales over a three week mm-hmm. trip uh, on a bus, and I was falling asleep on the bus one day, as happens when you have like five or six hours between stops or whatever. Yeah, and I had this dream, this very vivid dream of a open battlefield, of a bunch of like futuristic humans, okay, rushing across against a bunch of like armored. Velociraptors and T Rexes. <laughs> That's awesome. And like they got into this huge fight, and I woke up and I wrote it down. Mm-hmm. And like my 11 year old self was like, you know what would be a good name for this story? The End. <laughs> so I had this. I had this whole thing. I just started plotting this thing. I was like, how come no one's ever wrote a story about dinosaurs fighting humans, but the dinosaurs are smart? Yeah. I, I just you know. It, and so I always kind of messed around with it. And in high school, I started trying to write it as a novel with my friends as characters and stuff like that. Okay. Yeah, yeah, And in college, I, you know, kind of kicked it around. And, I, you know, in college, actually, uh, my girlfriend at the time and I, we tried to make it a comic book ourselves. We were kicking it around. And, and she actually drew a few pages and she did some original concept art, which was really gorgeous. Like, you know, uh, whatever happened to us personally was one thing, but... Uh, her art, I mean, she was fantastic, and she did a lot of she did a lot of the original conceptual art for it. Do you still have some of that artwork? I do. Oh, uh, I definitely want to check that out. I, I will send you some. I actually sent it to the uh, to Jeremy, the artist who took over, who actually did the first couple issues of Primal Instinct as gotcha. a, as a baseline. Yeah. So you know that's we, really cool. So we worked on it. I mean, I worked on it for years, and um, it it kind of changed over time. Obviously, you know, it got better. I'd like to think, but. The one constant that I've always wondered over the last 16 years is how come no one looked at Planet of the Apes 
and thought, hey, why don't we change out the apes for dinosaurs? <laughs> that I was actually I when you were describing it earlier, I was like, yeah, it's uh, you know, kind of a plant plant of the apes only instead of apes dinosaurs. Well, I I just want to know how come no one ever thought, hey, instead of like, you know, let's watch Jurassic Park, but instead of like them jumping on us and eating us, what if you know they shot us? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> how did that never cross anybody's mind? And I know there are some like. There's like this Space Raptors cartoon from the 80s and stuff, which whose name I can never remember. Mm-hmm. Um, I know there's. And what was the uh, the the Dinobots from Transformers? Yeah, which I loved. Way the uh, the Beast Beast Wars is that what it was called? Beast Wars, gotcha. Yeah, which, yeah, I, yeah, always, Beast which Wars. I always enjoyed a lot more than Transformers because I think cars are boring as hell, but dinosaurs are awesome. I can respect that. <laughs> so, um, but I always wondered, like, over these last. 15, 16 years, like, how come, how did this concept never hit anybody the way, like, it hit me? Mm-hmm. So, a couple years ago, uh, I decided, I was talking to my friend Steph and my friend Calvin, I was like, I, we went to Baltimore Comic Con, and, um, there was this girl, and she was, like, 15, I think. Okay. And I stopped at her table, and she's by herself with her mother, but she's 15 years old, and she's got a comic book on the table. Yeah. And I start talking to her. And apparently, not only did she write it, she drew it, she inked it, she colored it. Holy. She... At 15. At 15. She advertised it, got it self-published, and got herself set up at a table in Artist Alley. That's really impressive. And I'm, I'm guessing this was... Seeing this was the thing that lit a fire under you. Yeah, I mean, because I had been at Baltimore selling my book. When, so the first comic book I sold uh, when Element originally came out actually sold out at Baltimore Comic Con in, oh, two, wow. in 2009. It was a real wow. short, limited run. I think it was like 50-some copies, mm-hmm. maybe. But it sold out. Mm-hmm. And I was very proud of that. And I was 17. Yeah, I, I was 19 years old at the time. And so, but that was the last time I'd been to Comic Con on that side of the table. So when I came back a couple years ago and I saw this girl doing this at 15, yeah, I just I was wandering around like a daze for like a couple hours, and I was just, and we sat down for dinner that night, and I looked at I looked at Calvin, I looked at Steph, and I was like, what the fuck am I doing? It was like this girl is 15 and she just pulled all this off. I've been there. I was that I was almost that young, and I did this my you know almost by myself. But here she is. She's she's doing this. She's pulling this off. And you know it was an imp- it was an impressive work. I mean, it wasn't the greatest thing I've ever read or the greatest thing I've ever seen. But I mean, the fact that she was fifteen and she she did this herself. Yeah, that's that's the impressive part. I mean, yeah. the drive that it took to yeah. see something from beginning to end at fifteen. I mean, pfft. totally. I mean, <laughs> I remember when I was like at fifteen, I could barely finish a merit badge in Boy Scouts. You know. So um, so you've got this idea, and there's so the one thing. Um, when I when I read it, uh, that res- uh, resonated with me that I just I just thought was really cool. Other than the artwork and other than the general plot, um, or and and the concept, um, one thing I think is really cool is, and it's this it's a little thing, but it it makes it feel real to me. Is um, th- whenever you have dialogue scenes with uh, the dinosaurs, they refer to the humans as sapes. And whenever the humans have dialogue scenes amongst themselves, and they talk about the dinosaurs, they refer refer to them as SARS. And I that that to me just uh, that adds like a uh, like a little bit of texture that makes it feel kind of real to me. And I th- and I and that's something that really resonated with me when I was reading it. Like, 
did was that just something that just uh, occurred to you? Did you think of that, uh, or, or was that just something that happened while you're writing? It just seemed just came naturally. Um, to be honest with you, I'm not entirely sure, but let me try to. I'll try to explain this the best way I can, in the most mm-hmm. long-winded way I can. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, Primal Instinct for me was uh, a way to write a really bad sci-fi in a really fun way. Like it's it's supposed to be one of those bad sci-fi films. Like mm-hmm. on the Sci-Fi Channel, it's supposed to be over-the-top acting, over-the-top concept, you know, ridiculous sure. plot, plot holes or whatever, you know. Yeah, just supposed to be fun. Sharknado, right? Or I, I prefer Shark to Puss personally. Shark to Puss. Uh, I, I'm sorry. I, I, <laughs> I apologize. No, it's okay. <laughs> but you know, it's supposed to be like the over-the-top kind of fun thing. But at the same time, because I'm me, it still had to have some sort of real world message to it, some kind of like real world ramification. And because of my, you know, my background in history and politics and anthropology and stuff, uh, so that particular instance with the sores and calling them, calling them sores and sapes, um, that really came from because it's a story about war at its yeah at its basic core is the dehumanization of the other side. Yeah. You have to you have to break it down to as to their like their base level. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you can't see the enemy as anything other than like the enemy, like as a piece of meat, as anything but like the lowest of the low. And so I wanted to make both sides as you know, <laughs> for lack of a better uh, phrase here, racist as hell. <laughs> but the, the, I mean, it's it, that is a really important theme, though. Is the dehumanizing that occurs uh, in war, but also that neither side is black and white, good and evil. Both sides, you know, the fact that both side, each side is dehumanizing the other. Yeah, and I, you know I, what I mean, I wanted to make that a point, and that's going to be a point later on in this, you know, as the series progresses and stuff. And I want to drive that really home. And that's a big thing that comes from like reading somebody like George R. R. Martin or reading, you know, just basic history. You know, everything's, it's shades of gray. There is no black and there is no white. There is no good. There is no evil. There is no right. There is no wrong. You know, everything has a middle ground, you know. Even the people that we think are wrong think they're right. And, you know, yeah. they think, you know, I think I'm right and people think I'm wrong about things. And that's, that's the Well, you're ex- clearly wrong about the uh, the flat earth. No, obviously. You know, we live in a dome. Yeah. Or maybe I am right. <laughs> <laughs> For the record, for the record, before this gets misconstrued, thirty years down the line, when I'm running for political office, mm-hmm. the, earth, <laughs> the Earth is a globe. Good. The yeah. Earth is. A, I'm glad we got that on record because that was not, uh, that was up in the air. That was up for debate. There's definitely like also there definitely appears to be a bit of like '80s camp that uh, you know kind of influences what you're doing as well, and maybe maybe that's just by proxy because it like campy. 80s style sci-fi influences those sci-fi movies that you like that you mentioned but also i get i get the impression that there's there's uh a direct affinity also for for kind of stuff that comes from the 80s that kind of over the top uh you know uh last starfighter type type movie yeah absolutely uh i i love old sci-fi and I was that is that you have an you have an older brother, right? Is that is that who kind of turned you on to, or was it maybe your father or something yeah, like that? It was, it was my father. Uh, I don't have. Gotcha. An older, I, I'm actually the oldest uh, in my. Family. Oh, I thought I, I I'm mistaken. I thought you were the uh, you weren't the oldest. No, I'm the oldest son. Um, gotcha. Uh, no, I it, it all comes from my dad. It comes from gotcha. growing up on 60s, 70s, 80s comic books that I got from him. Mm-hmm. 
it grows uh, comes from growing up on uh, the old sci-fi. One of my favorite sci-fi films of all time is Anime Mine. Yeah. Which uh, is one of the greatest science fiction films ever made. And referenced on the – you referenced the box art on the cover of issue three of Primal Instinct? Yeah, we did. Issue three, we did a, a cover, uh, almost an exact uh, replica, but with our characters of Leo, one of our characters, and a raptor in place of um, – Dennis Quaid. And- Dennis Quaid and uh, – Oh, forgive me. Was that Louis Gossett Jr.? It is was Louis, that, was that the Louis Gossett guy Jr. Alien? Yes, yes, it is. Thank you. Uh, there you go. Yeah, and uh, so we did a we did a representation of that. And That's I'm, awesome. Yeah, I'm very happy with that. It was the only cover uh, that I dictated to Jeremy. Actually, gotcha. All the others, uh, he was on his own, and I was very happy with this cover art. But because of the story that was in issue three, I wanted to make sure that because we did a I did a little anime mine uh, homage. <laughs> in issue three to that or homage i guess um so that that's been uh, that title has been kicking around and both that and element have both been kicking around in your brain and in, in some capacity or another since you were 10 years old uh i think element came about when i was in high school oh okay so element was a little bit later yeah element uh was i think when i met calvin uh who's my best who's my best friend uh, and we were talking. He's a big comic book nerd too. He was more into DC. I was more into Marvel. You know, when we met and everything. Now we're kind of even, even. You know, because we're older. Yeah. <laughs> but I think it came about when we were talking about the superheroes that we made up. Because I mean, every kid who reads comic books has a superhero they've made up. Oh yeah, of course. And is that is that kind of the uh, the goal with Element is to do because. You know, Primal Instinct is not a superhero comic. Is that the goal of Element is to be a superhero comic? Yeah, I mean, every, I mean, everybody who works in comics, you know, wants to write stuff that isn't superhero, because mm-hmm. comics have certainly moved beyond that, and and that's a great yeah. thing, and we all want to evolve beyond that. But li- I would defy you to find a comic book writer who doesn't have a superhero comic in mind. Oh, of course. You know, we all have our own. We all have our own superhero. We have superhero stories of the ones we love. Because superheroes are the core of comic books. Yeah, and I agree. And that's completely fine, and we need not be ashamed of that fact. No, not at all. Uh, so yeah, no. I, I mean, the the nerds have inherited the the earth. There's no reason to be ashamed of any of our nerdy proclivities anymore. Oh yeah, but um, we've taken I, over. I, yeah, exactly. So I mean, I mean, every big big movie that comes out is now a superhero movie. You know, so it's it's no reason to feel any shame towards it. Um, but what are some of the like the themes that you that you're interested in delving into with Element? Because I think the best, e- even though what makes superheroes fun are the you know the cool design spandex costumes and the colors and all that sort of stuff and the superpowers. But the best ones always also just like you know you did with Primal Instinct is they have like underlying themes or metaphors at play that uh, that resonate on a deeper level. Okay, so um, just to give a little bit of background here, um, Element is about a guy uh, who can harness and control the four traditional elements of Greek mythology: fire, earth, wind, water. Okay, which I always thought made like the ultimate superpower. Cause and can... also a really good uh, '70s uh, funk band, Earth, Wind, Fire. Right, and if you can bind heart, you've got Captain Planet. That's true. So you really can't go wrong here. Well played, sir. I was a huge Captain Planet fan as a kid. Dude, Captain Planet. Captain Planet doesn't get enough respect. 
Captain Planet does not give enough respect, and uh, I would really love to see a Captain Planet movie, but only if it's played by Don Cheadle and only if it's produced <laughs> by Funny or Die. <laughs> I, and only if he maintains that, like, uh, rat tail mullet flat top. Everybody's a tree, motherfucker. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I, I, that was a big influence on me as a kid, uh, believe it or not. So the idea was that he'd be, you know, a descendant of Greek mythology. And you have that power of the elements and everything. And, you know, the Greek gods and stuff would help him. And that was all well and good. And then I started thinking, well, that's kind of boring. We've seen that before. Okay. So what I wanted to start, what I started thinking about was, well, what if the gods weren't gods? Mm-hmm. Okay. So there's this idea that if you look in the, like, the history of comics and everything, you look at, like, mythology of comics, and that's the key word, mythology of comics. Yeah. Um, if you look at it... Uh, Comic books are almost like a modern day mythos of of gods and goddesses. Yeah, absolutely, definitely, and definitely with in in the case of DC. Yeah, we 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 can we can all agree on that. We we definitely see Superman as like a modern day Zeus. Yeah, you know, or you know, Wonder Woman. You know, we we definitely see that. Like, is there a modern day pantheon of gods and goddesses? Yeah, definitely. So we accept that. We accept that premise. We take it in. So what I was wondering, and the more I, the deeper I got into element over the years, what if the gods and goddesses of our own mythos weren't actual gods and goddesses? Mm-hmm. But what if they were just, for lack of a better term, superheroes? Okay, I see what you're saying. You know, what if I don't know Zeus was just an elemental, somebody who could control the, you know, the storms. What is you know, yeah, and the yeah, wind yeah. and stuff. What if Hades was just a some guy who could control fire? Mm-hmm. And then, you know, people who don't have a, you know, or humans who don't have an understanding of science. Yeah. Uh, you know, they actually, you know, they ascribe these qualities to these people and elevate them to a, a, a deetical status. Yeah. So Element is like a, a reverse on that whole, you know, Superman's a god. So I just kind of wanted to flip that. Superman's a god, sure. But, you know, what if Zeus isn't a god? He's just a superhero. Interesting. So I kind of wanted to flip that on itself. A little bit. Okay. If that makes any sense. Yeah, no, no, no. I'm uh, totally following you. And so, and the other thing about that, and the older I got, so I, that was the original concept. Mm-hmm. And I still have that concept in mind. So, but on top of that, the older I got and the, um, the more educated I got and everything, the more I learned and the more I absorbed and the more I, I wanted to change things uh, for this book or whatever. Um, Element is also the story of. The, the way I bill it is it's the story of gods where gods do not exist. Okay. If that yeah, makes, yeah, yeah. I, 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 hope that, I hope that makes sense because, like, to me it sounds like a really cool tagline, but, like, it could sound like shit. <laughs> no, no, else. no. I, I, I'm, I, I'm following you totally. So, yeah, it's supposed to be the story of, like, gods when gods do not exist. And I want to tell this – I want to tell a old-style Greek epic – Mm-hmm. Through a modern storytelling method, sure, 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 and set in I'm assuming like modern day or or a version of modern day. It is definitely modern day. I actually have elements split mm-hmm. up into a five part series mm-hmm. and like a five five graphic novels. You know, let's say for sake of argument, uh, beginning to end, and basically the entire arc is supposed to take you from you know a humanity that doesn't really 
you know, doesn't have a belief in the ancient stuff, obviously. Sure. Like, like we don't, like, nobody believes in an actual Thor or Zeus or anything like that. And, like, I want to take this entire arc, and I, it, I want to tell the story of humanity, you know, coming to terms with, hey, you know, there are these gods, or are there, there is people that we would revere as gods. And then when you reach that high point of, of worship, mm-hmm. where do you go from there? Okay. And there's really only one way to go, and that's down. Yeah. You know, yeah. when you when you reach a point, I mean, when you reach a point of like, hey, we got these gods in charge. Well, what happens when gods fail? Yeah. When gods fail, what happens? But I don't want it to be a story of depression and, you know, horrible, horrible things. I want it to be a story. I want this to be a reflection of humanity's existence and history mm-hmm. that we don't need some external force guiding us or protecting us that humanity's history is our own. Gotcha. So when we reach the epoch of our God's existence and they fail us, we don't need to crash. And like, it's not just like a straight line down where we, we die. It's, you know, we pick up the pieces ourselves and we move on without them. That's interesting. So the, the whole idea of element is to show this arc of belief. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we believe and then we're at the height of our belief, and when they fail us, we have two options. We can keep on going, or we don't. Yeah. And so instead, we pick ourselves up, and we go, we don't, maybe we don't need this anymore. Yeah, belief was good, belief was good, but, you know, you know who, who, who built Rome? Who created democracy? It wasn't some external force. It wasn't anything like that. It was us. Yeah. It's a reflection of us, and when we band together, I mean, humanity is capable of far more than we truly believe, and... So that's like that's my whole point with element. That's the long term point. I, I think it's a really interesting um, kind of theme, especially to be explored in a, in, a, in a comic book. And I think you gotta. I think you also have the makings for an interesting sandbox where you can play with play with a lot of different, for lack of a better word, elements. <laughs> <laughs> um, so before we wrap this up, uh, I, I have a thing that I want to I want to kind of make a recurring uh, element. There's that word again. Um, element of these uh, these podcasts, and that is, I want to ask you: you have five people, living or dead, fictional or non-fictional, to be on your side in a bar fight. Who would they be? Uh, five people, including myself, or I should clarify that it doesn't necessarily mean your team to win the bar fight. Okay. Who who are your five people, fictional or non-fictional, living or dead, who are on your team in a bar fight? Meaning, who are you drinking with in a bar, having a good time with, and then going to get in a tussle with, maybe you win, maybe you lose? Who's your five? Okay. I'm going to go with Batgirl. Ooh. Because interesting choice. I I would figure, like, if I could, I mean, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to build this from a way of who would I be drinking with before I get into a bar fight? Okay. <laughs> Who would I be interested in hanging out with? Fair enough. So, uh, Barbara Gordon. Well, Batman, Batgirl would be way more fun than Batman. I well, I'm, you know me. I'm a huge Batgirl uh, fanboy. Yeah. Uh, I have a Batgirl tattoo signed by Gail Simone on my left arm here. So. That's awesome. Yeah, it is pretty cool. So I'm gonna go with Batgirl. I'm gonna go with um, Alana from Saga. Good choice. I like uh, it. Also, I'm liking. There's a there's a definite. Uh, feminist bent to your to your selections i like uh, it a little bit um i'm gonna go 
with Daredevil. Okay. Um, just see, I feel like he'd be he'd be all broody. No, not my Daredevil. Not your Daredevil. Nah, I mean not the Frank Miller Daredevil. The the Daredevil that everybody else, you know, the other Daredevil. Gotcha. The Charles Soule Daredevil, the Mark Wade Daredevil, the Ed Brubaker, the Brian Michael Bendis Daredevil. I mean, yeah, certainly broody to a certainly broody to a point, but not the yeah overly broody. And plus, uh, you know, he's the guy who when the cops show up. Yeah, I right. Mean, he's the one who can talk to him. We also got a lawyer on hand, you know. And yes, that's, exactly. That's thinking ahead. No, I, th- I, I, this is making sense. I felt like I needed a historical figure here. All right, I'm gonna go with Benedict Arnold. So you're expecting a heel turn at uh, this uh, this bar fight? He's gonna turn and fight against you? No, not quite. Um, but uh, from a historical standpoint, uh, the dude liked to duel. Okay. And I feel like he'd be an asset in this kind of situation. Um, I don't condone Benedict Arnold whatsoever, just to be clear. <laughs> but I respect the man for what he did before the heel turn. Yeah, so before the heel turn. And uh, I think he'd be useful in this kind of situation. Okay. And, and who's your uh, who's your number five? Uh, number five is my dad. Very nice. And I like it. Just so he and I could sit back and watch the other four fight. Because... <laughs> <laughs> I don't think not, we... <laughs> you won't sell yourselves and getting involved. <laughs> That's not going to turn out well for you. No, he and I can sit back and have a brew and just enjoy what's going on in front of us because we don't need to be involved. I mean, we've got Batgirl and uh, Alada and Daredevil and Benedict Arnold. Like, yeah, let them do the let them do the heavy lifting. Yeah, why bother? I I would say Captain America, but I don't think Captain America's going to find himself in a bar fight. Yeah, I don't think he. I don't think he'd be. I also don't think he'd be fun to drink with. Oh, he can't get drunk. Yeah, although I, I do have to ask this. I, and I'm going to ask this publicly here. Why can't Captain America get drunk, but Wolverine can? That's an interesting question. Because, I mean, he's been established. Well, I mean, we've seen Wolverine drunk in comics, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, we, that's established. Yeah. But it's also been established that Steve Rogers, at least, can't be drunk. There's, I mean, well, there's an issue of Captain America by Ed Brubaker and Steve Epting where he explicitly says, I can't get drunk. And it's backed up by the first Avenger movie. Interesting. Is it is it that he is he saying he like physically can't get drunk, or is I, he just saying like it would be against my beliefs as Captain America, like I can't do it? No, I think it's physically can't get drunk. The comic itself, at least, is physically can't get drunk. The I think the movie more or less implies it, but the comic book explicitly says I can't get drunk, like biologically can't do it. And I've heard the hmm. things like, oh, you know, Wolverine. I don't know, maybe whatever whatever that super serum is, it's you know rolling through his veins is is like the the highest of octane coffee is just keeping him sober i suppose so i just uh i don't know it's something i've always been curious about we'll put, have to put that out into the nerd nerd universe and see if we can't get an answer right. we'll put a pin on that one for now but yeah all right man well hey i appreciate uh you taking the time to do this uh i think this i i think this is going to turn out well and uh you know i'm i'm really glad that we uh that we through the luck of the draw, got to meet at Baltimore Comic Con, and a couple years later, still talking, still you know, um, you know, pushing each other to keep going. Yeah, I just want to you know before we go and everything, I just want to say that uh, the the first Comic Con I did that wasn't a local show was the Baltimore Comic Con uh, fall of 2016, which is where I where I met you, and I met Jordan Clark and Parker Hicks, and. Kofi Simmons and uh, yeah, Kofi. I I think I actually met Kofi. I could be wrong. My memory might be failing me. I think I actually met Kofi the week before, 
or two weeks before in Hager, oh, interesting. in Hagerstown at the Library Con. Oh, gotcha. Yeah, I think he mentioned something about that. I think I had actually uh, – it, it might not have registered at the time mm-hmm. um, because I'm that kind of asshole. <laughs> yeah, and I'm the same way. I'm, a, um, I'm terrible with people outside of context. Sure. Uh, like if you come into the bar, I'll know exactly what you drink. But if I meet you in the street, like I don't know who the yeah. you are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that kind of thing, which is a terrible trait yeah. to have. But uh, I, I just want to say like that uh, – the fact that like that little block – and uh, it was also James uh, Babo I think was across the street. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, colorist we, and we writer. Ran him, we ran into him, we ran him this, this past, past year, year. Yeah. Even though neither you or I were tabling, uh, we ended up getting drinks with him afterwards. That was a fun night by the way. Uh that was a great night. And yeah. we'll definitely do it again this year. Yeah, I'm 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 exhibiting this year. There's no there's no and Oh, yeah, about absolutely. It. Yeah. Yeah, I'm 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 coming back. Uh, Baltimore's the home show. Baltimore's the the show. Uh and if I ever make it big whatsoever and somebody asks where I wanted to view something uh Baltimore's the number one answer. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, but I just want to say like that that 2016 uh block that we had that year that was yeah. uh, unbelievable. I mean, I could not yeah. have asked for a better crew to hang out with that weekend. Yeah. Uh, I mean, and the luck of the draw. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, to get that many, like, independent comic creators in a block like that, especially... Yeah, with, and everybody's, their... you know, and everybody's cool and everybody's, you know, enthusiastic about encouraging everybody else and, and keeping pushing on their well, on their own respective projects, you know what I mean? Well, we all stay in touch, and not only that, I mean, but just the fact that, like, Artist Alley just isn't set up that way. Yeah. And just, like, yeah. the, I mean, the natural luck of the draw there yeah, uh, it was spectacular, and uh, yeah, it was fantastic meeting you and your brother and... Jordan and Parker and Kofi and like everything like that. I mean, that was I. We we all still talk, and that's the best part. Yeah, we, we met for a weekend, and I mean, I've I've met Scott in real life twice, and I would consider him a really good friend. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I I would I would say the exact same thing. All right, man. All right, uh, I will uh, talk to you soon, and uh, thanks for having me on, buddy. Yeah, man. <laughs>